prayer with confidence and final salvation. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and have found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress concerning the works of men. By, thy by the word of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of, of the destroyer. Uphold my steps in your paths, that my foot footsteps may not slip. I have called upon you, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand, O you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who oppress me, from the deadly enemies who surround me, they have closed up their fat hearts. With their mouth they speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They have set their eyes crouching down to the earth. As a lion is eager to tear his prey, and like a young lion lurking in the secret places. Arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down. Deliver my life from the wicked with your sword, with your hand from men, O Lord, from men of the world who have their portion in this life, and, and, though, and the whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure. They are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possessions for their babes. But as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Father, we thank you that you are a refuge and you are a strength. And we will look to you, our righteousness, and we will look to you, our satisfaction, to be transformed by your presence. I ask, Lord, as we look to you tonight, that you would reveal a, another fragment of who you are, that we might be transformed little by little, even tonight, into your glorious image, Jesus. We thank you and you praise you. And I ask, Lord, for your spirit to be upon us this night, and your spirit to speak boldly the truth of your word through Ian. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Welcome. Glad you guys are here tonight. Let's open up our Bibles to Exodus chapter 7. As we continue going through uh, God's Word, uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, um, I'm going to take just an awkward second to try to lower this. This is Josh is taller standing up than I am sitting down. Imagine that. There we go. That's better. Um, so tonight we, we break into the plague narrative of, of Exodus. Um, and I just want to open with a couple remarks and acknowledgments that, that this is a, a very, uh, it's a, this is a hot topic issue for um, people outside the church, I think especially, 
outside the church, this is where people, this is one of the narratives that people pull from, and they try to make God sound capricious and evil, and, and so I, even, I even heard one person describe it as, if you grew up around other children, and somebody ever grabbed a hold of your hands and hit you with your own hands and said, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself, that God's essentially doing this um, to Pharaoh and, and to the Egyptians, and and I think there was even a time in my life where if somebody had made that argument to me, I would have been like, well, you know what, I, I, think that that's probably, I think that that's probably true. That's not what's happening here. Not at all. God is not an evil big brother. He's not even a moderately annoying big brother. He is a good father, and he is king, and he is judge. And what I love about this story is when you take the time to slow down and read through it intentionally, um, it's, it's actually quite, you might be surprised at how much grace is actually, how many like signposts there are and how many uh, springs of fresh water, so to speak, that there are to drink from, that, that the Lord puts in with, with the plagues. He's, he's guiding, he's leading, he's, he, is, he is judging. I mean, he's, he's bringing about consequence to people who enslaved an entire nation. I mean, there's, there's some part of us that understands that right? That there's a consequence for enslaving people. God's a, God is not a passive God who, let, who winks at sin. Um, this is, this is heavy-duty lifting here, um, but it doesn't change the fact that God's grace is always first and foremost. He's a God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, um, and we see even in something as intense as the plague narrative that that is entirely true. Um, so, uh, just to check out some of the really cool things that are in this story. Uh, some, of the, some of the great ways that this just is like low-key proving that God wrote this book. Um, there's hyperlinks everywhere. Uh, we see a lot of hyperlinks between the language that's used in the flood narrative and the language that's used here in the plagues. Uh, in Genesis 6, in the, in the flood narrative, the Lord said, I will establish my covenant. He said that to Noah. He says here uh, in the, the beginning, the opening uh, scene for the plague narrative in Exodus 6, he says, I will establish my covenant. Flood narrative, he said, it says that he caused it to rain. Here in Exodus 9, we'll see that he caused it to rain. Flood narrative, the flood destroyed the people, destroyed the land. We're going to see in the plague of the flies that the same language is used. It, it destroyed the land or ruined the land. But at the same time, Genesis 6, there was a protective covering. There was a, safe, there was a vessel of salvation uh, entering into the ark. And here there will be a, a easy to read by and ignore, not, and not, or at least not see it. Uh, in, Exodus, in Exodus 9, when the hail comes, the Lord says, get into the house. Take you, you and your animals, go into your home, and you'll be spared. Um, Genesis 9, there was a rainbow that was given as a sign from the Lord. And in Exodus chapter 12, the blood, the sign was the rainbow in, in Genesis. And then in Exodus 12, the blood over the doorposts will be a sign of passing for the people. So we're supposed to see this. We're supposed to be thinking about this. A, a long and slow waiting but eventually a judgment. But even in the judgment, punctuated everywhere are these opportunities and these, and these manifestations of grace. Um, so 
with that, there's also, there's also a, lot of, um, a lot of language here having to do with creation. This is a story of, Tim Mackey points out that the, the, the flood narrative and here the plagues is sort of this decreation that's taking place. Uh, and what's interesting about the plagues is that one of the, one of the decreations, one of the signs of judgment is creation but out of sync. It's creation out of order. It's, it's creation that becomes chaos because it's over creation. There's, there's plagues of locusts and plagues of gnats or mosquitoes. There's plagues of flies. There's plagues of frogs. There's all this, there's all this stuff that's creation, but it's too much. It's in, the, it's, in the wrong, it's in the wrong ratio. There's the mingling of blood and water in the Nile River. There's the mingling of darkness and light. Darkness and light are out of sync. All of these things that, that Yahweh put in order uh, and in sequence in the creation narrative, the, plague, the plagues are sort of a stirring of the pot. It's, it's the same elements without God's sovereign design. It's just everything is there and present, but it's in chaos. So, the, so Moses is just about to come. He's argued with the Lord. He's, he's protested the Lord. He, he doesn't, the, his mission, he doesn't want to be this guy. Um, so the Lord gives him his brother Aaron to speak for him. And so now, chapter 7, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. The Lord is going to speak directly to Noah, which is, no, excuse me, to Moses. <laughs> I'm probably going to do that more than once. St- speaking directly to Moses, and then Moses is to narrate to Aaron what the Lord told him. So Moses is acting as if he's the voice of God and and Aaron is gonna be acting as if he is the prophet. Verse two, you shall speak all that I command you, you and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. And then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Okay, so the, the Lord just said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He didn't say I have hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now I wanna be very specific about the language as we progress, just step by step as we move forward. I'm gonna try to not give anything away, try to pretend like we don't know the story, try to pretend as if we had never heard this before. In chapter three, the Lord predicted he says, I know that Pharaoh will not let the people go. I know that Pharaoh is going to have a heart that's heavy or a heart that is resistant. But he, doesn't, he hasn't said yet, I have hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh is already existing in a stubborn, hard, heavy place. He thinks that he is a god. The Egyptians praised him as a god. And in Egyptian uh, theology, the Pharaoh was actually the one who was responsible for the ordering of nature. And part of the point of the plagues is to show the people that Pharaoh, if he is in control at all, has lost control completely. But really the point is that he's not in control. That's the bottom line. You, you hail Pharaoh as a deity in charge of keeping everything in sync and in order and in its proper place. And one of the ways that Yahweh is going to show that he is the true God of all the earth, not just the God of Egypt or of the Israelites, but of all the earth, is to mess up the order and to show the people Pharaoh is a nobody, uh, ultimately. And the people, some of the people in Egypt do seem to, that clicks for them and they say so. And we'll get to that tonight. So he has not hardened Pharaoh's heart yet. He has said that Pharaoh's heart will be hard. Uh, in, chapter, in chapter four, he says, I will harden his heart. Here he says, I will harden his heart. 
but it doesn't negate the fact, and we need, to, we need to understand that his heart is already heavy. He told Moses in chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, go to Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go, but I know that he's not going to do it. The Lord knowing that Pharaoh's heart is hard is not the same thing as the Lord actively or, or being the cause of Pharaoh's hard heart. It's an important distinction to make. And I want to I start from there because as we see this progress, it really starts to make sense or become more clear what is, what is happening here. So I will harden his heart. Verse 4, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Um, verse 5, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. They will know in, in chapter 8, it is declared by the mouths of, of the Egyptians. This is the finger of God. So the Egyptians, will, the Egyptians will, they will know, they shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord had commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Again, just by way of, of, um, of, of review, Moses is very clearly the second born. We've seen this throughout our time in all of, the, in all of Genesis, the, the second born, which socially would have been the first choice, uh, is actually not the first choice, and Moses being the second born is the first choice to be the, to be the, the prophet of the Lord. Um, and Moses almost loses his, he almost forfeits his opportunity completely by refusing several times, uh, first arguing with the Lord and then actually refusing to do what the Lord has asked uh, and that's why some people see Aaron's inclusion here as, as actually a little bit punitive. Like, Moses, you could have done this on your own, but now we've got to go through this whole rigmarole of me talking to you and you talking to Aaron and then Aaron being the one who tells people what to do and throws the staff on the ground and so forth. Uh, so then, verse 8, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, and it be may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. And then Pharaoh summoned his wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. Each man cast down his staff, as they became, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and would not, he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So there's, <laughs> there's so many layers of cool stuff here. It's, it's worth noting that whenever the Lord tells Moses to tell Aaron <laughs> to throw down the staff and it becomes a serpent, the word for serpent there is the word tanin. And the Bible Project has done a really cool, I haven't listened to it myself, but Zion's been telling me all about it. Um, the Bible Project has done a, a very cool and long discussion about what the tanin is. It's, it's translated as serpent here in our English, in our English translations, but it's, it's not exactly a snake as we would understand a snake. It's not the same word in, Genesis, in Exodus chapter 3 when the Lord appears to Moses in the burning bush and Moses is, is, is tripped. I mean, he's, he's, he's shook, you know, and the Lord says, calm down, take a breath. Now, throw your staff on the ground, it became a snake. And put your hand in your cloak and it becomes leprous. That might make you feel better. He's, he's giving Moses signs to show to Pharaoh. And when his staff becomes a snake in chapter three, it's not the same word. In, in chapter three, it, the, the meaning is serpent or, or snake. This is uh, a word that means 
something that's more akin to um, a dragon or a sea monster. Um, it's the word. It's the it's the word tanin, and it the 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 best scholars uh, say that what Moses's staff probably turned into was actually something more like a crocodile, a sea monster, um, and crocodiles are dinosaurs. I mean, look at them. They are what's left over. If dinosaurs were a real thing, I know that's a lot of things, that's what something people sit around and drink IPAs and fight about. Uh, but if dinosaurs were a real thing, crocodiles and alligators are, are a remnant of them. Uh, and this is actually more of what we have in mind here. It's a monster. It's, it is a creature of chaos. It's scary. Snakes are scary enough, but a crocodile or an alligator, uh, they may not be venomous, but they're way bigger, they're way stronger, they can do a whole lot more damage. And this is what the staffs turn into. And notice that the magicians are able to do the same thing. And it's, it's worth noting, uh, maybe in just sort of like a drive-by way, that um, there, are, there are dark arts. There is magic. The devil has power. He can do things. Um, these, these sorcerers, these magicians of Egypt, uh, by the way, it's the same word from Genesis chapter 41 when Joseph is in jail and the Pharaoh has dreams and his sorcerers and magicians could not tell Pharaoh what the dream was, but Joseph could. These are the same types of people. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about them as, as, as we continue. But what I really want to point out right now is that the Lord is using a chaos monster to devour a chaos monster. The Lord is using intentional an intentional power for good, a chaotic power, a, a scary power to destroy and swallow, not just kill, but swallow up, to utterly eliminate the chaos of slavery. This is where the Lord is, is going. He used, this is what Josh, Josh mentioned this, this morning, the Lord uses the, the, chaos, the chaos monster of water, the flood, water unabated, a source of life that is without restraint becomes chaos, becomes actually uh, an agent of, of death. Floods kill people. Water, water out of, out of um, proportion can be deadly. And so the Lord uses the chaos of water, the chaos of a flood, to wipe out the chaos that human beings are causing. And here the Lord is using the, the chaos. He's, he's going to more and more and more, but this is, a, this is just a sign here. It's a little bit of a, of a sign signifying what is to come. The power of God is going to squash the prowess and power of man. The chaos of slavery has reared its ugly head for far too long. Human subjugation and evil, and the Lord is going to use chaos to kill that. Fair game. I like that. I like that. The Lord is using something powerful and scary to de destroy something evil. So Moses throws his staff on the ground. It becomes a crocodile. The magicians of Pharaoh are able to do the same thing, but God's power is greater. God's power is bigger. Pharaoh's magic magicians can only mimic they can't create ex nihilo, ex nihilo uh, as the Lord can. Um, Satan can't do that. He can mimic. He can fabricate. He can take something and he can, he can make a, a, a fraudulent form of it, but he's, he's not a creator being. And so the Lord's power is greater. And, his, and so Moses' staff eats the, uh, the, the sorcerer's staff. And Pharaoh's heart 
was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now notice the neutral language here. It doesn't say Pharaoh hardened his heart. It doesn't say that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. His heart was just hardened. Or your translation might, might read, his heart remained hard, or his heart remained strong. This is a condition, again, that Pharaoh is already in. This is already the way that his heart is. So verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand your staff that turned into a serpent. Take in your hand the authority of you being the serpent crusher. Now Jesus is ultimately the serpent crusher. Whenever the Lord said to the, said to the serpent in the garden, said to the devil, there's going to be one, there's gonna be a seed of woman who crushes your head, that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ defeated death, defeated Satan. He is a defeated foe. Moses is a picture of this. He's an image of this. And he's holding in his hand the staff that swallowed the serpents of Pharaoh's magicians. It's pretty, pretty cool. So take that staff in your hand and say to him, the Lord, the God of, heaven, the God of the Hebrews, excuse me, sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, the staff, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile shall stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. Verse 18 is all a prediction. This will happen. The Nile will stink. The fish will die. The people won't be able to drink it. Verse 19, the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers and their canals and their ponds and their pools of water so that it may all become blood, that it may become blood and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and in the vessels of stone. So as part of this continuing uh, judgment, the Nile River, which was deified by the Egyptians uh, it was the source of life there was no there was no tap water back in the day you know I mean I think that our our you know to well, quite bluntly like our opulence in this in this in this day and age in our in our in our in our country can can it's easy to miss just how important and sev how important the Nile River is and how severe this is, this, is the, this is, no pun intended, the lifeblood of Egypt. And it turns into a stream of death. Blood in the Bible is sometimes a sign of life. Sometimes it's a sign of death. But this is, a, this is one of those moments where it becomes putrid. And the Egyptians can no longer benefit from its bounty. And it's, listen to the, to the, the language, um, how thorough the language is here. The rivers, canals, ponds, pools of water, all will become blood, even the vessels of wood and the vessels of stone. Uh, very, very thorough. The Lord's not leaving any stone unturned. But it's not quite as thorough as we might think. Even here, the Lord is providing um, a, a, a life-saving grace to those who are going to experience the ramifications of the Nile River turning into blood. Verse 20, Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants. He lifted up his staff and he struck the water in the Nile and all the water in the Nile turned to blood. And so now everything that the Lord predicted, here it comes true in verse 21. The fish died, the Nile stank, 
and the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There is blood throughout all the land of Egypt, and the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hard. There it is again. It remained hard or remained strong, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now, I love this. All the water turns to blood, but the magicians somehow found some water somewhere and turned that water into blood with their magic arts. That is dumb. That's a misstep. That's a silly thing to do. The little bit of water that you had left, forget for a minute where it came from, you had clean water and you turned it into blood. How many times in the Bible have we seen this? How many times in our own life have we seen and conti will continue to see in the Bible when we get cocky and we're like, well, look what I could do. Everybody, everybody ever watched that? You know what I'm talking about? No? I'm the only one here that's a millennial? Fine. Fine. I'll take it. But they're, they're coming in with their own power. Look at what I can do. Look at the power that we have. Look what we're capable of. And all they do is make things worse. It kind of reminds me of one of my favorite character Bible, characters in the Bible, Peter, on the night of Jesus' arrest, puffing out his little bird chest and saying, well, look what I can do, and cutting off Malchus's ear swinging for his head, no doubt, missed, hit his ear, and he gets scolded by Jesus. And Jesus puts Malchus's ear back on because Jesus needs Peter. Peter's going to be the rock on which the church is founded, and if Peter tries to kill the, the, high, the high priest's servant, that's a capital punishment. So Jesus gets rid of the evidence for him. It's a pretty incredible story. Peter tries to go in with his own strength, his own power, his own prowess, and he makes things worse. These Egyptian sorcerers want to show off what they can do, and they take the little bit of drinking water that they have left, and they turn it into blood. So great. Yeah, you, like, you prove that you can do some stuff demonically, and now you don't, that water that you had, you're going to have to go find more because you just ruined it. So you proved nothing. You just made things worse. How often when we get in front of the Lord and try to do things in our own power, does that, does that occur every time to varying degrees of intensity? So Pharaoh turned went into his house, and he did not even take this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water that is in the Nile. And there is a mercy. The Nile water, the Nile water turned into blood. The water in the, in the vessels and in the pots and the wood and stone cups and bowls and basins turned to blood. And yet the Lord left the water under the surface of the earth clean and able to be procured and drank. It's pretty amazing. I had never noticed that before. But even here, there's, there's, the Lord's, there's the Lord's mercy. And seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Uh, verse 25. So seven full days passed. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty clear um, hyperlink to the creation story. And seven full days of creation, seven full days of this. Seven, seven, six days of creation and the seventh where the Lord rested. And then seven full days of of the Nile being uh, turned to blood and plenty of time for Pharaoh to call a timeout and to repent and to let the Lord's people go. But he doesn't. So chapter 8. The Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. Um... Yeah, I'm going to do it. We got that slide. We have the, the, the frog slide. 
So <laughs> it's still funny. Every time it's funny. So one of the things that has been pointed out by the scholars is that these plagues that affect the animals are, again, to show that Pharaoh has no power, really, of ordering the natural elements of the world. Uh, he, has no, he has no power, really, over the animal kingdom. Um, and so the Lord af- affects that. He, he makes too many frogs, too many gnats, too many flies. Animals, animals die in the process. And, what, and also what the Lord is doing here is he's, he's showing the people that Pharaoh has no power. Pharaoh is not a god, uh, but either are their, their, their false gods, their false, de- their, their false deities of worship. And there's a pretty extensive list of all of the animals that the, that the Egyptians considered to be, um, to, to be deity, to be God, or at least animals that represented gods the Egyptians often, you know, they actually what, something that was practiced in Egypt was that they would raise certain animals just to kill them and then mummify them and then offer the mummified bodies to the God, the false God that was represented by that animal. And one of the most prevalent gods of the day was this God, Heket. This is from an old carving found in, uh, in ancient Egypt. And this weird frog lady on the right is the goddess of fertility. Uh, and I, I looked, I looked this, this little lady up and uh, this, I just, I, I copy and pasted just a little, a little brief write-up on her. Heket was the Egyptian goddess of childbirth and fertility. Maybe there's a correlation between Pharaoh trying to kill every firstborn or every, every boy in Egypt believing that the Heket, this frog goddess, was the goddess of fertility and the Lord bringing a plague of frogs to, to help destroy the land. She appeared as a frog or as a woman with a frog head. She was likely one of a group of deities that existed before creation. Her husband, Kanum, created all living beings on his potter's wheel and she breathed life into them. Midwives called themselves the servants of Heket, it just seems too convenient for Pharaoh to be killing Egyptian boys and his false goddess of fertility, his false goddess of midwives uh, is represented by a woman with a frog's head and the Lord brings the, the, the plague in that is this uh, over but too many frogs. Um, and it, that will continue to be, li- I mean, cattle, cats, different kinds of dogs, sheep, oxen, all sorts of animals represented different deities to the Egyptians, and the Lord is going to bring a plague on every one of them. These are not really gods. That's part of what he's saying. So he brings in the, he brings in the frogs. Um, we could leave that up or change it. Depends on, you know, how interested you guys are in checking out this little lady, but um, there, sh- there she is. Um, a, real, a real false god right there. Uh, so I will plague your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that come up into your house and into your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of your servants and, in your, and, to your, and, and to your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. That's so gross. That's so gross. Opening up your pantry and it's just full of these slithery, slimy frogs. That, there's like 17 jokes that I'm just gonna let, I'm just gonna let them all go. I'm gonna pretend that they're not, that they don't exist. So the frog shall come up upon you and upon your people and upon all your servants. 
And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers and over the canals and the pools and make the frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and they made frogs come up out of the land of Egypt. They are just making things worse again. So in Pharaoh, verse 9, or excuse me, verse 8, Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and he said, plead with the Lord, take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go sacrifice to the Lord. Um, it almost seems like, it, you know, when, it, when you got this peripheral idea of, of the plague narrative, you, you know that we get to plague number 10. We've got, a, we've got a ways to go, and already, pretty early in the game, Pharaoh is calling for a truce, and I wonder why. I don't know, but one of the, conject- one of the conjectures, one of the ideas that's posited is that the, Ni- the, river, the Nile River turning into blood, uh, it's, it, it came out onto the land, it came into the kneading bowls, it came into the vessels, um, but Pharaoh being in his palace was probably pretty far removed from that plague personally. If there was water available under the surface and people were digging it up, they were probably bringing it to Pharaoh. So this affected the land of Egypt, but Pharaoh personally may not have felt the, the weight of this all that much. But now there's frogs in his pantry. Now this is really affecting him personally. And sometimes that happens to us, right? We can look at something on the news, we can read about something in a book, we can let it go. But whenever something affects us personally, all of a sudden we can, get, we can, we can start wondering about who is, who, is this, who is this God that Moses is talking about? Because now suddenly I'm, I'm in, a, in a bit of discomfort. We're going to continue um, to explore that idea as we move on. But Pharaoh is, is asking for this to stop. Verse 9, Moses said to Pharaoh, let the people go. Excuse me, Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses, and, left be, and, and let them be left only in the Nile. Verse 9, Moses is saying, okay, you tell me when. I'll go pray for this to stop, but you tell me when you want it to stop, and that's when it will stop. And man, there is a lot written about this, and I actually would, would be curious if some of you have any insight on this. I, I read a lot, of, a, a lot of scholars take, and um, some of the ideas were, seemed pretty far-fetched to me, at least. Um, the, the one that I thought was interesting is that this is one way, this is an, another way and another level and another nuance of Moses uh, being used to prove that the Lord is the one in power. Uh, you say when, you, want, you say when the frogs are, should stop, and that's when they'll stop. You, like, you, you, like in 10 minutes, in an hour, Another, another 24 hours tomorrow, tomorrow? You want tomorrow? Okay, we could do tomorrow. And how that, I mean, if you think about it, if, if you were Pharaoh and you, and you said to this prophet, okay, tomorrow, and I don't know why Pharaoh chose tomorrow. He wanted one more night with Heket. I'm not sure why he chose tomorrow and not immediately right now. I, I don't know. Again, if you are, have some insight to this, I'd be curious. Um, but th- it would make sense that if Pharaoh was like, all right, well, tomorrow at this time, and it happened at that time, that's just further evidence that this is really the God of the universe who has power over the livestock, over the animals, over the land, and over the Egyptians, over the world. So Moses says, you tell me when, and it will be then. And so verse 10, and he said, tomorrow, Moses said, be it as you say, that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. 
The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out to Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of, of Moses. The frogs died in the houses and the courtyards and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. <laughs> uh, verse 14, uh, in the original language, it says, they were gathered in heaps and heaps, and the land stank. Um, and what that, what that double use is meant to convey is countless heaps. Countless heaps, heaps and heaps and heaps of dead frogs putrefying the land. And all the magicians of Egypt did was make it worse by making more frogs. So, bravo, boys. Verse 15, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So, so just for a second, remember chapter three, the Lord says, I know Pharaoh is gonna have a hard heart. I know he's not gonna let them go. Chapter four, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, but he hasn't yet. Chapter seven, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, but it hasn't happened yet. And now we read that, his, that Pharaoh's heart has remained hard and that again here in verse 15, he hardened his own heart. This is a, this is a causative, this, this isn't neutral. He's, he's doing this, he's hardening his heart. So verse 16, then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff. No, notice there's a progression here. As the plagues continued, the Lord says at first, when, Moses, when Pharaoh comes out to you in the morning, tell him that this is gonna happen, warn him. And then in the beginning of chapter eight, it, the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, that's go into his palace and warn him, tell him this is going to happen. But here in verse 16, there's no warning. There's no, when Pharaoh comes out or you go in, it's just, there's no warning, this just happens. This happened, this ha there's three cycles of this throughout the narrative, which is interesting because it just goes to show that the author is very particular about the process here. There's a cadence to this story. This is not random. This isn't made up. This isn't fiction. There is a deliberate recounting of a cadence of these sections of three, uh, threes of threes, these nine plagues that come, and then ultimately the tenth one, the, the one where Pharaoh temporarily but finally breaks. Stretch out your hand. Stretch out your staff, verse 16, and strike the dust of the earth so that it becomes gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. And Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and he struck the dust of the earth and there were gnats on man and beast and all of the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. Uh, most scholars agree that this Hebrew word actually means mosquitoes or lice. Um, I remember camping with my dad one time. We hiked into the Mount Jefferson wilderness and it was beautiful. It was, it was so gorgeous. We were right at the, we were right in like the, the top of the foothills of Jefferson before you really get into the mountain and there were streams and trees and wildlife and even butterflies. It was beautiful, but there were so many mosquitoes that we hung out in our tent I think for like 14 or 15 hours straight. As soon as we got there, tent was zipped up and we stayed in the tent all night and it was finally like 10 or 11 in the morning the next day that we braved it. I remember there was a, there was a gal staying, she was, there was a woman camping by herself on the other side of the stream and we were like waving to her and talking to her through our tents because it was so miserable. I mean, this is miserable. 
the dust turned into mosquitoes. <laughs> that is awful. It's not lethal, but it's really miserable. This is a plague that isn't intended to kill, but it's intended to really bother. And I, I even see that as a mercy. I'm gonna make your life miserable, but you're gonna survive. You will survive. You will live to fight another day, Pharaoh. And that's what he does. Um, but the dust of the earth became mosquitoes or lice in all the land of Egypt. And the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and on beast. Um, I don't know why all of a sudden in this plague uh, that the magicians are running out of, of steam. Um, I don't know why they could produce frogs and blood, but they couldn't produce gnats. But what I do know is that um, as powerful as the world may be, it's not anywhere near as powerful as the Lord. Whatever allure the world has, it has nothing compared to the Lord. Um, the Psalms say that in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Uh, those pleasures, that inheritance that Peter writes about, the, the inheritance that is undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Jesus said in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Those inheritances, those riches, those crowns that are ours are beyond human utterance. I would be perverting them if I tried with my, with my faulty language to describe them. The power that the earth has, the allure that the earth has, fame and wealth and, and whatever else it is that, 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 that the earth offers. The earth does offer 2020 pushrod V-twin Harley-Davidson street glide specials in the, the matte black color with the, the Bose speakers on the side, $45,000. Uh, but that's nothing compared to what the Lord offers. The magicians have some sort of power. They replicated the blood. They replicated the frogs. But they are the world and all of its promises and the world and all of its, all of its showboaty temerity has nothing on the Lord. Do not store up treasures here on earth, Jesus said. Store up treasures in heaven. There's, no, there's nothing here. Even the, even the cool, even the powerful things when compared to Yahweh are nothing and the power that whatever power it is that whatever demonic power it is that the magicians have to replicate and to falsify and to pervert creation it's nothing compared to the true creator God himself so they could not produce the gnats verse 19 the magicians said to Pharaoh and here here they're start here the tides are, are starting to turn they're, they're starting to get it um, this this is the finger of God but Pharaoh's heart was still hard. Pharaoh's heart was, was hardened. Um, this is the word, uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this, but it's kahazak. It's, it's the same word that we've been seeing over and over. His, his heart is remaining hard. There's a few words that are used to describe in the, English, in the Hebrew language, a few, a few, three or four words to describe the, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, and they all essentially mean the exact same thing. Uh, but this is translated as his heart remaining. It's a, it's a, it's a condition that pre-existed and now is continuing to exist. Uh, but his magicians are starting to get it. This is, this is, the, finger, this is the finger of God, meaning this, the, the, the true God did this. And I, and I love that. You know, one of, one of the coolest stories is in Mark chapter 7. Jesus, God in the flesh, comes to earth, and he comes, he comes across a man who's deaf, Remember the story, he's, Jesus sticks his fingers 
in the man's ear and the man the man's hearing is restored the finger of God has done this so verse 20 the Lord said to Moses rise up early in the morning there, there, there it is this is what we read in chapter 7 verse 15 in the morning rise up and go as Pharaoh is out go to Pharaoh go and present yourself to him as he goes out to the water so Pharaoh's going to come out to you in the morning and go to him and say Thus says the Lord, let my people go, that they may serve me, or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants and on your people and into your house, and the house of, houses of all the Egyptians will be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. Um, this word for flies isn't exactly certain. Uh, swarm, of, swarm of insects, uh, flies, insects, the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament has this translated as, as dog fly, which is a, we, 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 might, we might know of, think of it as a horse fly. It's, it's a fly that's about the size of a nickel and it sucks your blood. Again, this is, this is awful. I, I, have you ever been, I don't know, show of hands, have you ever been bitten by a horse fly? They, they take chunks of flesh, a little, a little teeny tiny one little chunk of flesh. They're worse than ticks. Although ticks can give you an uh, alpha-gal, which is an allergy to red meat. That's <laughs> evil. That's of the devil. But a, a fly that takes these little, a, little, a little bite out of your skin, swarms of them. Like dust of the earth, swarms of, of these flies. Uh, this interesting Psalms uh, 78 uh, speaks to this. Psalms 78 verse 45, if, if you're student of the Bible and you want to go check this out later Psalms 78 45 uh, speaking of <coughs> the plagues of Egypt says he sent swarms of flies which devoured them a dog fly that takes little chunks of your flesh he sent swarms of flies that devoured them again it's not lethal they're going to get out of this um, but that's miserable swarms of these of these flies uh, so verse 22 but on the day that I but on that day that the flies come I will set apart the land of Goshen this is where the Israelites live uh, that my where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth thus I will put a division between my people and your people tomorrow this sign shall happen so verse 24, the Lord did so, and there came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt, and the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. So remember the flood language. The, the Lord ruined the land with the flood. It's the same word as, as in Genesis 6. The Lord ruined the, the land with the flood. Um, and it's also the same word that we saw in Genesis 18 when the Lord ruined Sodom and Gomorrah. Devastation um, of the land by these swarms of flies, and it's interesting, and it, and we're going to see this see this again. It doesn't say it explicitly right here, but we're going to come across this here in just a moment. Um, the language of of the of the the land and the produce and the livestock being utterly destroyed and wiped out on the land is is meant to in, in, uh, intend two things. One is that not every single literal animal was destroyed out of the land of Egypt, but enough that it was an, an insignificant number was left to be any good for their economy or to feed people. Um, and, but it also left a little bit for the Egyptians to hold on to that the Lord could destroy in the future if Pharaoh doesn't repent 
and let the people go. So the land is ruined by these flies in some sense, but there is also enough remaining that the, the plagues can continue to wipe out more and more animals and, uh, and goods and produce and, and all of that. So verse 25, Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and he said, go sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said it would not be right to do so for the offerings that we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? Um, most believe that what Moses is saying here is if we kill animals in the land of Egypt that Egypt consider to be animals that represent deities, then they're going to kill us. So we can't do that. Um, we want to uh, we want to be <laughs> we want to be respectful. I, we want to get out of here. Three, three days journey. Um, we don't want to cause any trouble so that the Egyptians start, start stoning us to death. Um, and I think um, the land is ruined by the flies. Go sacrifice to your God within the land. I think that it's worth mentioning that these, these moments where Pharaoh seems to be repentant and seems to be obedient, but then continues to not be, um, is something that we might relate to more than we realize or be able to relate to more than we realize. Um, but, I, but I also want to be cautious here because the, 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 it's, it's said that the same flame that melts wax hardens clay. It depends on what you're made of. And when this sort of thing comes into your life, whenever, you know, Pharaoh was like, okay, you know, get the frogs out of here, get the gnats out of here, get the flies out of here. Okay, okay, you know, go, go, go worship to your God. Is he really repenting? Is he really submitting? Is he really humble, genuinely, from, from his heart? Or does he just want to get out of trouble? He just wants to get out of trouble. He wants the flies to stop. He doesn't want the Nile to be blood. He doesn't want, he doesn't want to get he doesn't want billions and billions of mosquitoes roaming through his hallways and his kitchen and frogs in his pantry. He doesn't want that, but he also doesn't want anything to do with Yahweh. And this is, there's a bit of a caution here because the same, the same flame that melts wax hardens clay, there might, be, there might be an individual who goes, who enters into some form of suffering. And that suffering illuminates to them their own mortality, their own frailty, the fact that they are not God, the fact that every haket or idol or hope or magician or power or prowess that they had is ultimately nothing and that all dies and that all fades away and all is buried and all is forgotten. And that really genuinely, in fact, turns them to the one living true God and they get saved and they enter into his rest for all of eternity. That can happen. And I, I, I would say that I, that's what happened to me. The Lord turned up the heat and it freaked me out so much and he took away a number of things. Those of you who have heard my, my testimony or my story know the details there. My health, my, my money, my girlfriend, my, my plans, my 10-year my agenda. Uh, all of it was gone in a matter of months and I was left genuinely coming to the Lord and be like, I have nothing, I need you. What can also happen, and what we see here in Pharaoh, and this is a great caution, this is ultimately what kind of thing that happened to Judas, is that he has his hopes set on something, suffering comes in, and all that Pharaoh is doing is, okay, 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 I, I, I want the suffering to stop, but I also don't want the Lord. And it can seem like a repentance, it can seem like a humility, and it's not. 
It's not. Judas regretted what he did, but he did not repent of what he did. He gave the money back, but he hung himself, and the Bible says that he went to his own place. Jesus said it would be better if this man had not even been born. There's a, there's a difference between regretting something and repenting of something, and, and we, this, is a war, this is a warning that we see in Pharaoh. Okay, go, go, go sacrifice. Go. Get out of here. Um, and it, it, com- it, it comes increasingly more and more. He's going to say, go only three days. Go, but you can only take the men. You can't take the children or the livestock. Uh, but he never, he never repents. But there's these moments where it seems like, oh, th- this is good news. This is some light at the end of the tunnel. But then he goes back again. He, t- he changes his mind again and again. Um, so, boy, I can't remember where we were. <laughs> uh, so, be, oh, so, t- so tomorrow, be it, be it as you may, that's chapter 8. Oh, my page turned. That's what happened. Goodness gracious, that's, that's freaking me out. Um, so he hardened his heart, and he would not listen. The plague of the flies. Somebody help me out. Where were we? Moses said, I'm going out to plead with the Lord. If we go and we sacrifice what's abominable to the Egyptians, will they not stone us? Verse 27, we must go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far. Plead for me. And Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of the flies may depart from Pharaoh and from his servants and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. You ever, uh, you know that, that old, it, it could almost be a meme at this point, that old, at, that, that old stereotype of somebody being like, someone getting into hot water of some sort, and they cry out to God, and they're like, Lord, if you just get me out of this one, I promise I'll never drink again. I promise I'll never rob a bank again. I promise I'll never, this is what Pharaoh's doing. That's this what's happening here. Okay, okay, this, this hurts, it's hot, I don't like it. There's flies, there's gnats, there's swarms of frogs. You guys can go. And Moses is like, we're gonna go the way that, that the Lord tells us to go. Um, if you're gonna let us do it, don't cheat again. Don't go back on your word. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked, and he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh. If you get me out of this one, I swear I'll never do it again. <laughs> but, verse 32, not one of the flies remained, but Pharaoh, again, Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. The Lord said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, but it doesn't seem like that's happened yet. Pharaoh has hardened his heart. His heart has continued to remain hard, and then Pharaoh has continued to harden his heart still. So, chapter 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon all your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. All of these animals represented some kind of false god to the Egyptians. And the Lord is going to attack those idols. He's going, to, he's going to bring judgment down on that false image. He's going to show that there's nothing under it. There, there's a word um, that some of you might be familiar with, the word hevel. 
uh, meaninglessness. Uh, Tim Mackey did a pretty brilliant sermon one time years back where he wanted to convey the idea of Hevel, so he actually brought a smoking pipe up on stage and he puffed at it and then he grabbed at the smoke and that's, that's, that was the idea of Hevel. It's like it's, it's right there, but you can't, it's unattainable. It's everything that the world offers. It's right there, but you just can't quite get it. It's like sandcastles. It's these beautiful works of art, but, it, but it's nothing. It's nothing. The tide comes in, and it's, it's nothing. There's nothing left. Um, so this plague will be very severe. These things that represent your deities, they're nothing. They're absolutely nothing. I'm going to show you that they're nothing. That, and that, you know what that is in and of itself? is a mercy. If we're leaning on something that we think is going to help us, if we're taking a, a medication that we think is going to help us, and the Lord takes that medication away, the Lord takes that relationship away, the Lord takes that job away, does something that's upsetting, just, re, just remember that the Lord might be removing something from you that's actually quite, quite noxious. Uh, th- you know, not too long ago when my wife and I were staying at the parish house, because uh, I was remodeling our house, I went out one day it was pretty cold. The parish house doesn't have a garage, so I was just parking my motorcycle under the trees, and I went out, and man, I love to hop on my motorcycle four o'clock in the morning, cruise to work. There's nobody on the roads. It's awesome. Run the red lights. <laughs> Don't tell anybody, and I, I love that, but I got on my bike one morning, and I, and I, and I turned it on, and it just, it, it was dead. It did that thing. The battery was dead. Got cold. Battery died, and I, I got mad because I was like looking forward to my ride at 4 a.m., and the thought immediately came into my head, but maybe the Lord is taking away your motorcycle today because if you got on it, you would wrap yourself around a tree running those red lights, dummy. You never know. So the Lord's showing these false gods, they're just that, they're false. You're gonna attack these animals. He's gonna show you through these animals' deaths that what they represent, the false deities, don't don't mean anything. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel will die. And the Lord set a time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing and all the livestock of the Egyptians died. But not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. Pharaoh sent people to go check it out. And all these animals in Egypt are dead. Animals in Israel, in Goshen, completely fine. Not one animal was dead. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Uh, The word kaved, it remained heavy. Again, it doesn't say, it doesn't say that the Lord hardened his heart. His heart remained heavy. It, w- it was hardened. It was still, it was still hard. Now, we're, I'm, I'm, I've, I've been pointing each and, one, each and every one of those out for a reason, and, and we're getting pretty close to why. Verse 8. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot. Again, here, there's no warning. There's no Pharaoh coming to you or you going into him. There's no warning here. Take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them into the air in the sight of Pharaoh and it shall become fine dust over the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and on beast throughout the land of Egypt. So we were just told that all the livestock died. That word doesn't mean literally all, but enough that economically and otherwise there's not enough animals to really do much good. And the animals that are left now are struck with boils breaking out in swords on man and beast throughout the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and they stood before Pharaoh and they tossed 
this soot into the air, and it became boils breaking out in sores on men and beasts. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon the Egyptians. Verse 12, here we go. This is the first mention of this. We're on plague number six, and now, for the first time, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. And I, <clears throat> we're, getting, we're getting near the end, and we're not going to get to the end of all the plagues tonight. But um, I must, I, I mean, I, th I think that the, the obvious elephant in the room, the thing that I have to say is that I, I don't know the way that the Lord works. I don't know. I don't, I don't know all of the nuance behind Pharaoh's heart being hard already, him continuing to get, to get angry. You know, whenever somebody attacks the thing that you love or the thing that you trust or believe in, a very natural response is to get angry about that and to double down and to dig in your heels. And the, the false gods of Egypt have been attacked and shown to be nothing. The power of Pharaoh has been shown to be nothing. His, his magicians and sorcerers don't have the power to do what Moses, what Moses is doing, what Yahweh is doing through Moses. And now those very magicians who at one point were sort of kind of keeping up, you know, they did the Nile thing, the Nile into blood, they did the frog thing, but now they can't even stand before Moses because they're so overcome by these boils. The Lord is systematically showing these false beliefs and these false idols for what they are, these, 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 these implements of false hope, false trust. There's no, there's no life in there. Even the Nile, for all the good that it brings, for the life-giving life water that it, that, it, that it offers you, ultimately doesn't give you real life. Remember John chapter 6. The people are running around chasing Jesus down because they want him to give them physical bread. He fed 20,000 people with one kid's sack lunch. And Jesus says to them, you want food, but I'm here to actually offer you true life. I am the way to that true life, and you have no interest in me. And at the end of that encounter, John 6, 66, it says the many turned around and left because their, their, hard, their heart was hard. And we're seeing that here. Thousands of years early, earlier, Pharaoh is, Pharaoh's hopes and dreams and expectations and his sources of hope and trust are being attacked. And it's, he's getting angry. He's getting angrier and angrier and angrier. The same flame that melts wax hardens clay. And so now these magicians who at one time had some sort of power, even they cannot even stand before Moses and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. His heart has been hard. He's remained hard. His hopes and dreams and expectations and false gods have been attacked and brought to nothing. And he just gets harder and harder and harder. And, and at some point, somehow, in God's, in God's wisdom and in, 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 in his grace and in his patience and his long-suffering, he does eventually give, give over. You see this in Romans chapter 1. Three times it says, and the Lord gives over. I don't know when or how the Lord does that. That's his business. But I would say, goodness gracious, if you're here tonight and you feel like the Lord has been pecking at you and taking away step by step these things that you really wanted or really put your trust in, and I don't know why. Man, you know, I just want to brag about my community group 
for a second. We have, the people in our community group are so rad. And last night we were having this conversation about this. And, and what I mean by they're rad is that we've only, this is, we've only met twice. And, la- and, uh, and last, last Friday we got together and, and there was just like, like guts on the table. Like we were talking about the real hard stuff. Plans that have not come to fruition. Health decline. Um, even, even like cognitive decline, things that have come into our life, the, the, the failing of hopes and dreams and the failings of communities and, you know, my arrest and my stupidity and all the dumb things that I did in Portland for all those years. And what was so cool is that it was a house full of believers recounting painful things that have happened and then worshiping because we saw that the Lord used those things to keep us from hoping in something other than him. That is, a, that is a, a, it's a mercy. It might be a severe must, mercy, but my goodness, whenever you can taste and see that the Lord is good because he has removed something or killed something or challenged something that you were wrongly and foolishly hoping in more than you should have been. When he takes away everything else and reveals to you that he is all that really matters, he is the only true God of the earth, and he is what you need, that is a beautiful realization. Pharaoh is missing out on something so amazing here because instead of realizing Heket is nothing, the God of the Israelites, he, he is, he is something. He's the God of the earth. He's the God of the cosmos. He's just getting more and more angry. And at some point, the Lord just let that continue. He hardened him. And man, I will take the time to just recount, you know, when, when I got arrested and I got let go from jail, facing two and a half years in jail, and the courts threw out my case for what I could tell was no good reason. I remember I was, I was, I was going to AA at the time just to appease the judge, just so that when I got to court, I could show them the, the, the signatures. I, I've been to this many AA meetings. I'm doing good. I got a full-time job, and look, I'm carrying a Bible. Hey, don't put me in jail. And I was doing it just to appease the judge just so that the judge would maybe be lenient on me. And then they threw out my case. And I remember as I was leaving the courthouse that day, a friend of mine said to me, oh, you don't have to, you don't have to do any of this stuff anymore. You didn't go to jail. And there was this moment, this sweet, lusty, beautiful, corporeal desire, like this very sexy moment of this, this temptation to go back to what I was doing because I just got a literal get out of jail free card. I can go back to what I was doing. Running and gunning. Drinking and sinking, bro. I can go, ba- I can go back and act like a practical prostitute. I can, I can just throw my body all around Portland. I can do drugs at my own whim. I can do crime at my own whim all over again. Because look, I got caught. I went to jail, catch and release. They didn't, they didn't keep me. There was a moment where that temptation was right before me. Ultimately... All of those things are a manifestation of I could forget about the God that just showed me grace. I could forget about him and go back to doing what I want to do, go back to being my own heket, my own false Lord. And I don't, I don't know, friends, it's a mystery to me to this day why I didn't do that, but I chose, no, I think the God of the universe just showed me grace. I'm going to pay attention to him. That's a weird moment in my life. And I know that that moment is different for everybody. Um, there might be some similarities here and there, but the way that God calls us is strange and mysterious. I don't, I don't understand it. It's, it's the way that God does things. But here, in this story, this is a warning. 
There's been plague after plague. There's been the demantling of false ideologies, false gods, and there's been this punctuated grace throughout the entire story. There was still water to be drank. There were still animals. There was still opportunity. And every time Pharaoh hardened his heart, he didn't want the consequence of his actions, but he didn't want Yahweh either, and he remained hard. And so finally, here in verse 12, the Lord gave him over to that hardness. I'm not exactly sure what that means practically, but it seems like what part of it means is that the Lord just kind of left him alone, left him there, let him be. That's a terrifying thing when the Lord stops calling your attention. That's terrifying. Don't, don't get there. Don't let that happen. If the Lord is calling you, even if you're, if you're walking with the Lord and he's calling you into something or out of something, don't, don't waste any more time denying that. So, okay, let's, let's close out. 13, verse 13, The Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all of my plagues upon you and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Notice the Lord says to Pharaoh, Let go. Send, some translations say, Send my people away or I will send my plagues. You send my people out, or I will send my plagues in. That's what he's saying. Verse 15, for by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the face of the earth. So gnats, flies, the frogs, the boils, all of this stuff, they recovered from it. It didn't kill them. And the Lord's saying, I could have killed you. That again, that's a mercy. I'm bugging you, I'm hurting you, I'm making you uncomfortable. Turn to me, pay attention. I could have wiped you off the face of the map. Why didn't he? Mercy, mercy. He's making them uncomfortable, took away their drinking water. But so far in verse 15, he's saying, I could could have just cut you off the earth entirely, but I have not done that. Verse 16, but for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that you may, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. This is part of the mystery of, the Lord, of, of what the Lord does. You know, the people that were hardened against Jesus were hardened in such a way that they did exactly what they wanted to do. They wanted to reject Jesus. They wanted to kill him. And yet in that weird way, God's sovereignty and human volition, they did exactly what they wanted to do. They wanted Jesus dead and they killed him. They wanted that to happen. Pharaoh wants to hold on to the people of Israel and he's doing that. And yet at the same time, that is bringing about the very plan of the Lord. Jesus had to go to the cross. It was predicted hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years before he was born that he would go to the cross. But then, it, and then, but then at Pentecost, a couple thousand people that called, cried out for Jesus' blood got saved because he went to the cross to pay for their sins. No human made this up, dude. This is wild. This is beautiful. That my name will be proclaimed in all the earth. Two or three, four or five plagues, you know, maybe, that, maybe people will, will hear the, the news, but there's going to be a, a total of 10 plagues, and people are going to know the name of Yahweh. So for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth, but you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause a very heavy rain to fall as such as never been done in Egypt uh, from the day that it was founded until now. So therefore, listen to the grace here. Therefore, there's gonna be this hail, there's gonna be this plague. 
Get your livestock and all that you have in the field and put them in safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. So when then whoever feared, verse 20, whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses, but whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Pharaoh's heart is hard. But did the Lord also harden the heart of the people who refused even the hailstorm? Because some of the people heard the hailstorm was coming and they obey. all it took was them just realizing this God is bigger than me. He, he can do stuff that I have no control over. There's been frogs, there's been gnats, there's been swarms of flesh-eating flies, if, if we can go there, use that language. Um, I'm going I'm to listen. I'm, I, think that, I, think that he's, I think that he can do what he says he's going to do. So they brought their beasts and their servants in to safe shelter. There's a mercy and all you have to do is just believe and get under the covering, get under the mercy. But whoever feared, so whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the house. Some of these Egyptians are getting it and Pharaoh is still refusing. That just, that just it, in, that, in my mind, that like clarifies the hardening thing. Pharaoh has been given over to his hardening, but he was the one that is hard. There's people here who are Egyptians who are not hard. They're listening, they're paying attention, they're being obedient, and they're taking shelter, and they survive. And there's still, verse 21, those who pay no attention, and they leave their livestock in the field. Verse 22, and the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the heavens, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down from heaven onto the earth and the, Lord uh, and, the, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as never been seen in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in the, in the land of, of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I have sinned. And the language there is in the Hebrew is what he is saying is the previous times I didn't sin. When it was, came to the Nile and not letting the people go and the gnats not letting the people go and the flies not letting, that, that wasn't, but th this, this one time, this one time, this time, my bad. This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right and, I'm in, and my, I and my people are in the wrong or we I and my people are criminal or we are wicked so plead with the Lord for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail and I will let you go and you shall stay no longer and Moses said to him as soon as I have gone out from the city I will stretch out my hands to the Lord and the thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's not yours, not Heket's, not some other false god, but the earth belongs to the Lord. As for you and your servants, I know that you do not fear the Lord your God. Or do not fear the Lord God. Verse 31, the flax and the barley were struck down for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. That's what they used to produce linen, beer, and bread. And those, are, and, and, those, and those were gone. But the wheat, verse 32, 
and the emmer were not struck down for they are late in coming up. Again, this is a grace. The crops that were up and budding were destroyed, but there was still seed in the ground. Now, that's an opportunity for Pharaoh to repent and for that life to come out of the ground and they still have the, the grace and the mercy of food available to them because those seeds hasn't, hadn't sprouted yet. Or those seeds that are in the ground that still haven't sprouted up but are going to will become food for the locusts. So Pharaoh, what are you, you going to do? So Moses went out from the city, uh, went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord and the thunder and the hail ceased and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw the rain and the hail and the thunder that all had ceased, he sinned yet again or he added to his sin and he hardened his heart, he and his servants, so that the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people of Israel go just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that Old Testament, New Testament, you, are show, you show us that you are a patient God. You are a God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And Lord, Pharaoh is an example of a hard heart. Pharaoh is an example of refusal. And, and Pharaoh is also an example of your patience. And he is an example, this story is an example of how you do protect your people. The people of Israel were separated from these plagues. And Lord, in an in a, in a ultimate and in an eternal sense, this story represents truths that we, can, that we can hold on to for dear life and they will never fail us. You are a God who protects. You are a God who covers. You are the only God of the universe. You are the only one in whom we, we are safe to put our hope and our trust and our eternity. And you have proven that you are trustworthy by living sinless 33 years on earth and going to the cross to die for our sins. Help us, Jesus, to not be hard-hearted towards you even as your children, even as born-again believers, God the Spirit alive inside of us, we can, we can struggle with doubt and with hard hearts and with wanting to do things our own way, like Peter, but inevitably making things worse. Um, Lord, you have done everything. You owe us nothing, like the song that we sang this morning. You owe us nothing. You have given us every reason to trust you. So Lord, I pray that tonight um, hearts would be moved to a deeper trust and a deeper understanding um, of, of who you are and how good you are and that even a guy like Pharaoh who refused Lord you patient I mean 430 years of slavery and you brought the plagues you're to, to vanquish the chaos of slavery and Pharaoh refused um, Lord help us to learn from this help us to grow from this Jesus, we love you and we trust you with all things. Um, even, these, even stories like this that are, that are hard to hear, they, they offend our sensitivities. Um, Lord, I pray that we would bow the knee to your word. Um, and where we are wrong, where we misunderstand, where we misinterpret, Lord, that there would be grace, that there would be patience, that there would be conversation, and, uh, and that that would spur on further investigation into your word. Uh, we love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.